0: Well, we are on Grace to Stand again, and uh, no, your eyes, if you're watching on YouTube, are not deceiving you. That's not Darren Stone. He was a last-minute cancel literally two minutes ago. Uh, this is our Minister to Youth and Families here at Meadowview, Taylor Hausman. So, Taylor, thanks for being on this episode.
1: Yeah, it's a joy. A pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: You've so, made the yeah. big time now, That's right. By the way. That's right. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, I, so the last episode Darren and I did, two, we, we're on a two-week schedule because we... It just uh, the grind of doing it every week is is tough. So the, the episode yeah. two weeks ago on on Alister and he gets us has literally thousands of views on YouTube. Let huh. alone the iTunes, iTunes and hmm. Spotify stuff. So I it just I don't know. I honestly don't know who went on that. But um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, you've 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 hit big time now. It's no. good that
1: we've it's good that we've chosen a non controversial topic to to sort of ease in. My way, yes. so I'm, I'm, I'm Yeah, well that's that. that's
0: good. So we'll just let's just get into it. It's um <laughs> we're going to be talking about singing hillsong, elevation, and Bethel songs in the church and why Meadowview has phased that out over a couple of years and uh and, and what our thought is there. Because we want we want to help people think through this. We also don't want to people receive that kind of information as as judgment on listening to these artists, I, I, I have a confession to make that I listen to them. I, I do. I um, Some of the songs are very, very meaningful to me. But there's a difference between what I can sing in my home and, and what we do as a church. And so thanks for coming on. Taylor is our, uh, he's also, besides being our minister to youth and families or children, youth and families or whatever, <laughs> whatever conglomeration of Things we've yeah. given into your title. Every, you're everybody, also...
1: everybody under thirty, I guess. Is my...
0: Yes, Easy and way then some it. because you're also our worship uh, <laughs> coordinator. I think we call it, and uh, doing a, a great job <laughs> at that. Um, you know what? Before we get into this, uh, T, let's um, just how did you develop musical gifts—the mm. g- guitar, the sing- the vocals? It's because we didn't hire you for that purpose, and then we're like i mean i felt like wow we got something <laughs> we got extra here you know it's like you buy a car and you don't realize there's some features on it <laughs> i appreciate
1: that yeah um i yeah i grew up uh my family's very musical so i grew up around um around singing my dad's very gifted musically and so you know grew up around it um took lessons as a kid and piano and guitar and was too uh either too lazy or too uh too, too active. I'm not sure which one uh, to, to, to keep up with either. So I, I didn't really stick with either one. Um, I, uh, I was involved in a youth group when I was in high school, and there was a guy that, uh, that's now a PCA pastor uh, out in St. Louis. He, um, he was our, our music leader at youth group, and um, he was about to graduate. And he said, there's nobody to really take over music once I, I, I leave, so I need you to learn guitar. I'm going to teach you how to play. Um, and I need you to take over. And so I was, I was, you know, wanting to, anytime you're, you're a younger guy hanging around with an older, older guy, you want to impress and you want to, you want to, uh, kind of be cool around. I was, I was like, yeah, let's, let's, let's do that. So he, uh, he taught me come, some basic chords and, um, and I sort of picked it up from there. And, um, you know, I was thankful that he, he not only kind of taught me guitar, but he sort of taught me what, what worship leadership is at the same time. And I was, I was always thankful for that, seeing a a pretty clear difference between sort of just being a musician and being a worship leader and, and how that sort of, sort of goes. So that was sort of the beginnings of it. Um, I've been involved since, since that, let's say, I guess either on staff or otherwise been involved in five churches. Um, and I've played music in some capacity, uh, everywhere I've been, um, this is the first time I've really been the, the worship leader, so to speak, or the, the one kind of selecting songs and overseeing it. But um, but I've been involved in, you know, in, in worship and music for the last 15 or so years. So it's it's uh, that's definitely been uh, it's been sort of a side in, in sort of in some ways, it's sort of a side passion of mine. I, I've always been in youth ministry and, um, you know, that's sort of been my main main thing. But, uh, you know, I think music has sort of become a passion of mine and, and worship in particular
0: yes and we we've, we've benefited from that at Meadowview uh, we we definitely miss our former worship coordinator uh, who uh, stepped away in August or September and continued to serve in the ministry but didn't didn't want to uh, lead the coordination of it and so you do have a passion for worship and we knew that when we asked you to take it over uh, for reformed worship and to to help us worship well and what I'll say is, this conversation—you—you—you've been here almost as long as I have, so you have been a part of the conversation as long as there's been one. Uh, but but it's not like there was a change in in philosophy really when you took over. It was uh, w- with regard to these artists. So h- what we're talking about here is Hillsong Bethel and. Is it elevation worship, or do they they go under a different?
1: No, it's elevation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Jesus culture as well would be the kind of the big four.
0: Jesus call. Okay, yeah. I wouldn't even know what they. You know, the funny thing was, like two years ago, I wouldn't know who's saying what. I, I right. wouldn't have. a I wouldn't have a clue. I would just. Yeah. Don't think like that. You know, it's on the radio, or we're singing it. Sure. Yes, and so th- this this issue would come up that there are times and songs, and honestly, it wasn't. I how how many were we doing uh, last year, do you know, do you have a, like a list of Um, the number? Yeah.
1: I mean, I had a list of, of the ones I made a list of the ones we did last year, I guess we did uh, more than once. And there's, there's five, um, from those five out of the, you know, 150 or whatever songs in our, in our catalog. Um, so five that we did more than once last year, there's another probably six or seven that we've done over the last two years. Um, that we've kind of slowly that, phased. That's out. what I've been saying. And when people, yeah. you know, it's, it's, when it's elders or somebody's,
0: songs. well, what was the numbers and all that? I think I go I'm like we're talking about a half dozen songs that were yeah. more regular, and then another half dozen that would that would show up at times. And some of them are are older, even right, mm-hmm. like 10, 15 years right. old.
1: Right. Yeah. Some some of them. Yeah. I would. I would uh, probably. Yeah. Probably twenty up to twenty years old. Yeah. Early early two thousands. Hillsong in particular. I think that was when they sort of sort of started to blow up. Um, yes, but, uh, yeah, right. Bethel right. and, uh, and elevation are kind of newer, newer onto the scene last 10 years or so.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah. some of what we want to keep in mind as we have the conversation is there, there are distinctions that need to be held in this conversation because we, we now live in a world and in a culture and in a society that can't that can't hold distinctions together, that can't understand nuance in conversation, that, that if you're not all the way over here, mm-hmm. you're all the way over here. So if you're saying something that fits on the, th- this side of the conversation, then you're against everything on that side of the conversation. Right. And it's, it's, you know, as Christians, we are called to be thinking, discerning people. You know, we serve our, our. you know, John's gospel calls Jesus the the Logos, the Logos. Uh, I don't know how you, you know, there's debate about how you mm-hmm. say that, but in that you hear the word logic and it very much has to do with the, you know, we translate it into the word word in the beginning was mm-hmm. the word we serve a God of the word, a God of, mm-hmm. of rationality and we're called to exercise discernment. I mean, there's a whole Bible about, wi- a, whole, a whole book about wisdom. Mm-hmm. And there's a genre of literature in Hebrew literature called the wisdom literature in the Bible. And so why I I say that is because some of these songs that these bands do have been very meaningful to me in my life. Uh, At transitions in my life, uh, particularly coming to Meadowview, there were uh, a a few songs that were very, that would come on in the car and would would bring me to... uh, To tears, you know, and so I would go to them and listen to them. And so I I think what we're trying to set out here is a distinction and understanding that corporate worship is to be guarded in different ways than your car, your home, even as Christians gather in your home. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, now some people might say never play those musicians. I'm not saying that because Mm -hmm. I enjoy them. This is not a hypocrisy like the church teaching one thing and acting one way in the church and then going out in society and acting a different way. See, that's why I'm saying we need, we need, we need categories. We need to have distinctions. This is not that, but it is saying that corporate worship is protected in ways, particularly because it's people coming together. Sure. Um, that are different from what happens in your home. And so any thoughts on that as we even just enter into the conversation, the idea about distinctions or the music or, or, or whatever.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think the you're right in that there, there must be a distinction. And I think that when anytime you enter into the conversation of what songs and, and what groups are we sort of trying to phase out of people automatically jump to the, you know, it's almost like you've said, well, I'm, I'm going to go into the, the living room of everybody in our church, and I'm going to be ripping CDs off the wall. You know, and, and and that's that's not that's not what we're what we're doing. Well, they were doing that in
0: um, the '70s, by the way, like the Jesus People movement yeah. and the '80s. Like I remember my grandparents and my uncles, uh, my aunt and uncles, but were teenagers when I was a real small child, and they were burning records. You sure, know?
1: sure. And that's I wish yeah, I they mean, didn't
0: I, because it was like Beatles records and stuff. Right. That's probably worth- <laughs> yeah,
1: probably 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 really good stuff. But I yeah, and, and I agree. I mean, there there have been some some songs from these these sources that i think have been have been really good there are they're, they're, they they have theological richness um, to them um and so yeah we we listen to some of them as well in the car and at home but i i do think you know first of all as 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 pastors as church leaders you know we we follow the the confession which says that it's it's not it's not our responsibility to bind the conscience you know it's not our it, it is our responsibility to to teach and to uh, to counsel, but, you know, people in their own homes, you know, are, 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 you know, they must make decisions for their families, you know, as, as they disciple and lead them, uh, in terms of what we do, which is the plan, the worship service to pick songs, you know, I feel very strongly that I have an obligation to protect, uh, to protect the flock. And, and in doing that to, um, to, to guard against false teaching. And, and, and so in the context of corporate worship, um, the same way we, you know, we want to keep dangerous sources out of other aspects, other elements of our worship service. And I think everybody, you know, we, we talked, we've talked before about how we think differently about music than we do about anything else in our worship, you know, uh, the same way anybody would understand why, you know, bringing in a Dane a, you know sort of false teaching related to the Lord's Supper would be a dangerous thing for us to do to create confusion to lead people away yet with music we're you know we 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 have this kind of sensitive soft spot to it and 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 that's why I you know I've said as a worship leader you know there's a difference between sort of what I listen to in my my life what I listen to in worship but I've got five chances, four chances, whatever it is, however many songs we sing on Sunday morning, four chances to teach our congregation something about God through our worship, through our music. And, and, and so every week there's a, there's, a, there's a weekly kind of thought process that goes into, okay, what are, what's going to help our people to worship, what's going to teach them um, something about God, something about uh, who he is, what he's done. Um, and, and, and I, and I think that doing that and distracting in a lot of ways, distracting people from, uh, what is our main focus? Um, you know, we've got several in our congregation who, uh, it would violate their conscience to sing those songs in, in a worship service. We've got to, we've got to uh, respect those. I'm, I know we'll get to all of this, but I, but I think the, uh, the reality is, is that we are. Having we God cares how we worship, God cares that we worship rightly, God cares that we worship Him in spirit and in truth that 's what he 's called us to be as worshipers uh, as church leaders, we are tasked with uh, according to sound doctrine and to not leading people astray through false teaching and um, yeah, we got to take that responsibility very right. seriously
0: so you, you yeah. said man, you said a lot of good things yeah, there I know so there. one thing I love, and then you you came back around to it was the <clears throat> the uh, binding of the conscience and so this is a, a reformed doctrine that we you know the lord alone is 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 lord of the conscience and you you used it on both ways both ways and one in one sense i we can't bind the conscience of what somebody's doing in their own home but on the other sense what we do in worship does bind the conscience and so we have to be very careful about that and in particular if people feel strongly because you know the the issue with these sources, like you said, we'll get into, is is these are ministries that are riddled with scandal and heresy, and while their songs may may not have that, <clears throat> some I think some do, but the ones we've sung have have not. But the ministries do, and when congregants raise that as an issue, that's not being legalistic. It's not. I I, I don't think people understand what legalism is anymore. I think. Guarding worship is not legalism. the The thing that there, there's two things, as far as I can tell, that the Lord, throughout the Scriptures, gets the most angry about and brings the most judgment about, and one is false worship, mm-hmm. and the other is uh, abuse of people, like you mm-hmm. know, the widow and orphan, and so. But first and foremost, it's it's how he's approached, mm-hmm. and so. We need to talk about that. We need to think about that. And if somebody is saying, I, I can't sing that song because this ministry teaches this or that. And sometimes I think, you know, we can all be insulated, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in, in South Florida, we were planning a church. Uh, we did plant a church. Our church did. And it was very much a, a city reaching urban environment church of non churched people that if they had any exposure to Christianity, it was more just loosey-goosey, broad, broad, broad evangelicalism. But they weren't in mm-hmm. churches themselves, and you know it's very much an in, an instinct among those kinds of pastors in those environments to do to bring things from the culture into the church because you're mm-hmm. trying to. It's not going to you don't want like there's going to be a culture shock with Christianity, but you don't want it to be stylistic, right. you know. And so they they had everything. They had all the music that, you know, these people might be listening to uh, perhaps on the radio or whatever. And then what this pastor found is these people those were the ministries they were following and they were bringing rank heresy into the church, word of life teaching, modalism, all kinds of crazy things. Why? Because that's what these churches are teaching. And so it's very difficult to separate from from people cuz we're not in their homes what is sound teaching and what is not sound teaching Mm -hmm. and we don't want to give the impression that because we're singing songs or music from places that that do have these issues that there those are ministries that we can stand behind and support and this is another distinction that needs to be made in this conversation we're not talking about other christians we have differences with that's not what this is I can quote John Piper in in a sermon, and he's a Baptist. I can quote John MacArthur in a sermon, and he's a Baptist. This is not about everybody has to just be like our narrow niche in the Napark world, which is the, the you know the right. few Reformed uh Presbyterian denominations. That's not what this is. There's a line, and when when that line crosses into, well, as I said, rank heresy. Right. which heresy is not just wrong or false beliefs but it's wrong or false false beliefs that have been condemned by the the broader church already mm-hmm. the historic church already and affect our view of god and salvation mm-hmm. God the person of jesus christ in uh, in particular and salvation and you know as reformed pastors you and I are committed to guarding against that
1: right right yeah we in and and i think that that's that's what we have to that's what we have to be and i and i think that you you know, you, you say um in a good job of saying that i think that we we have to be careful not to sound like we're you know well we disagree with this doctrine we disagree with this kind of you know we, we don't share the belief on baptism so that we're going to take their music out that's not what we're that's not what we're talking about and and the the problem with these four sources uh, that we're going to talk about is not that we differ theologically in the sense of we have some some shared core beliefs and we differ on the outer edges. These these organizations and I'm careful to call them organizations because biblically they're not churches. I mean by, by the biblical definition of what a church is, it's questionable at best in some of these in some of these um, some of these organizations. So so not only are they not churches, but they're also not teaching the core doctrines of, of Christianity, whether they're heresy or they're just badly formed theology, <laughs> you know, either, either way um, they're not teaching the Jesus that we're teaching from our pulpit. They're not teaching the Bible. We're teaching from our pulpit. They're not teaching the God uh, who, uh, who we are, we're proclaiming with the rest of our worship service. And so this is, this is, there's a huge difference between I differ with you theologically and we're speaking a different language religiously (laughs) you know i mean if we can put it that way i I think that that's um you know that's that's where i think it's it's become you know like you said legalism doesn't really mean anything anymore i think it's just a buzzword for anything that that sounds too you know too mean or too too harsh or you know whatever the wording would be but it's you know we do have to build fences around certain things. We have to, and, and the Bible calls us to do so. Um, my, my head went to, when you said that, you know, fencing the table at the Lord's supper, you know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, we, we are called by scripture to, to say, if if you're not, if you're not in Christ, this is not for you, (laughs) you know, and that's, that's not legalistic. That's, that's following the, uh, the biblical definition for for what we're what we're doing, the biblically right definition, and I, and I th- so I think you know because one easy argument or one common argument against this would be, what about theologians that you know had bad theology from you know, hundreds of years ago, which I'm sure we'll get into. But I, I like, yeah, I, I do differ with you know with Martin Luther's view on 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 Jews. That, I, I do I do have a I do hold, but that's not you know that 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 is not a disqualifier for Martin Luther the theologian the individual the same way that I would say the movement hillsong right which is which is you know taking
0: well, over. Or, there, there's a, know, there's a
1: clear difference between individual writers and and organizations and movements and that's and that's what I think that's where the distinction lies
0: well i think so to add to that like you, you know sir, we don't agree with everything that luther said like you just said we uh, we we certainly don't agree with slavery and some of the theologians you know that we will quote or root in our heritage you know either had slaves, house slaves, or, or whatever, and obviously they were they were, they were in hor- horrible sin. The the question is 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 Jonathan Edwards or any any of these theologians that you know have some questionable things in their past? And by the way, you could see some of their own journey with that, which is you could see how they worked through it and mm-hmm. uh, came to new convictions about it, but. Is that tempting any of us to believe it was okay? Right. So th- that that's the issue. Like, the issue is Stephen Furtick and Elevation is an hour away. Mm-hmm. And I know people that will go, I, I talk to people that will go to that church because they love the music. Like, sure. from sure. here, you know, it's like, eh, we're going right. to go visit them, you know? Right. And right. and you're going to go there and you're going to get a heretical view of Jesus Christ, yep. the, the you know, our Savior and Lord. Like, what? And so th- there's there is the risk now when there is a cultural movement that is uh, confusing Christianity that we in the church in a corporate worship service need to not give any sort of mixed signals about these ministries. Now, two hundred years from now, can can a church sing the song Cornerstone? I, th- I think that might be different. I think that yeah. I, I think it, it, if if this movement fizzles away and it doesn't become a thing and. You know that the whatever um, wrong teachings are are involved in it are gone. It's very possible. I'm sure we sing hymns from the hymnal. That's the other argument. That you know of, of ministers and ministries that we wouldn't agree with today. The problem is we're not influenced by them. All we right. have is the words on the paper, and. That is a line I tried to walk when I got here because one thing I didn't want to enter into was the worship wars, you know. But if you're dealing with the worship wars, it's because you're you're trying to do ministry in a multi generational, multi multicultural context, Mm -hmm. and that's a good thing. So you're trying to figure that out, and and the important thing is then we have to view our our. Our role in the body and our connectedness and unity in the body is more important than our preference for music. Mm-hmm. But what I, what I want to say about this is this is not a stylistic or preference thing. Right, That's not and some people point. want to devolve it into that, and it's simply not that. I think there are some songs from these groups that are very uh, th- th- that are fine to sing in worship as far as the the melody and the singability. Some mm-hmm. I'm, I want to keep saying some. So you know the the goal was to. <laughs> find those good alternatives stylistically we're fine with the style uh i I mean i you know again we might have a range on that between you and me but when i first when i first got here you know the the parameters in trying to because this would come up right and it would come up by the way from young families was the first time i heard it here who were upset that we were singing these songs it wasn't from the old people Yes, of course there were older people that wanted to hear more hymns. Sure. Uh, but like the specificity about the issue with with singing the, from these sources was not coming from the older people but from the younger families. The stance because you know you and I walked into this and the session my understanding was already burnt out on worship wars going mm-hmm. on and it was more about style hymns versus sure. you know contemporary stuff. And so the the parameters that to manage through it were, were these, it's like, okay, the, the song needs to be doctrinally sound. We're not going to sing heresy just because we like a tune. So if it's doctrinally sound and suitable for congregational singing, Mm -hmm. and there might've been a third thing, but those were the, those were the primary two, then, then, then we're going to, to be okay to do that. And we kind of held that line. Well, look, every source is going to have sin involved and, and all that well, it keeps coming up and it kept coming up. And again, that was the position I took because I enjoy the music. I, and it's not a stumbling block for me. You know, when you talk about issues of conscience and people say, can I listen to this music or that music? Can I go to this movie or that movie? Can I, uh, go to this venue or that venue? A lot of these are issues of conscience. Mm -hmm. Uh, they they are. I mean, Paul says, you know, he he takes that example of whether to, or not to eat meat sacrificed to idols, which to do that would be taking part in the cultural sort of thing around it. It could mm-hmm. be. And he said, you know, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are, are uh, valuable. And right. so, you right. know, let each one be convinced in their own mind. I like the music. I'm sorry mm-hmm. to my confessional friends, but as a pastor of a congregation where more and more Honestly it would I it would be every time we did a song it wasn't from yeah. one person it wasn't like well this just it's so and so we know about him or her Right. Right. It caused us to, you know, have conversations and saying okay this is not somebody saying I want more hymns or I want less hymns which we get all the time by the way. So this is not that we're not capitulating to style. Yeah. This is doctrinal and conscious issues over the sources. You know this Taylor, I don't share the same doctrinal theological convictions that you share with right. when it comes to Hillsong. But my my issues with them are and I could be wrong. I just haven't maybe seen it. My issues with them are the scandals.
1: Yeah.
0: And the yeah. apostasy. You know, like like Hillsong, many of the people that wrote these songs walked away from the Lord and no longer are Christians. There's been a number of scandals and abuse scandals in in the Hillsong Church. And I equate it to Ravi Zacharias. Like I loved Ravi. I listened to I don't know hundreds of his sermons and podcasts yep. and I've read his books. And by the way, I've never seen him say or speak heresy. I've never seen it. Right. And the man was preying upon young girls mm-hmm. in massage parlors for years. He was buying massage parlors for this purpose. Right. And so I I won't quote him in church. Mm-hmm. Not be I could say well his 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 message was right. Yeah, but I'm not going to injure people's consciences and right. and particularly people who have experienced trauma and hold up the 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 words of a man, no matter how tr- true they were, based on his life. But it, it's too close to home is the issue. It's right. not some dead theologian from the 1600s, mm-hmm. and so that that's that's the my issue with Hillsong is I don't know where there's doctrinal issues. Of course there are because they're not Calvinistic, sure. but um. But I'm not going to hold up a ministry with so much scandal involved, right? Anyway, so why don't you take us through some of the doctrinal issues of like any of them, including yeah. Hillsong?
1: Yeah, and I, I think that that's a good. I, I think that's a good note, and I, you know, because I, I think Robbie, the Ravi Zacharias example is a, is a is a helpful one in in some ways, certainly related to Hillsong. Um, but I, you know, I would say first of all, I. I'm by no means an expert on these things there's people that know a lot more than me uh, but I, I've, I've, I've spent some time kind of looking through and seeing I the, the from a, from, a, from a theology teaching standpoint uh, the the most problematic of the three or four would be Bethel Bethel is um, Bethel has certainly got uh, its fair share of, of real problematic things not just things we disagree with not just things that we would say differently they have core, basic, fundamental, what does it mean to be a Christian, things that they've gotten seriously wrong. Um, and uh, this is part of what's kind of become known as the new apostolic Refor- uh, reformation movement, um, which is why I don't think you can completely divorce Hillsong and Elevation from Bethel. They're all part of the same movement, and that's where I would would be careful to to, to put them into categories. Um but Bethel, I mean, Bethel is, is very heavy, Bethel Elevation and Hillsong, all very heavy in the prosperity gospel. Um, the Word of Faith movement, very much uh, prominent throughout their preaching. Uh, Hillsong's pastor, um, Brian Johnson, I, they're, um, what was his name? Brian Houston. Houston wrote a book called You Need More Money. That was the name. I mean, that, that was the name of the book, you know. And, and, and so they're, they're blatant in their prosperity gospel teaching. Um, the Word of Faith charismatic kind of you know the 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 way that they teach about the Holy Spirit, the way that they teach about the gifts the you know the, the ongoing uh gifts of the Spirit all of that um is is something that we would very very strongly disagree with. The problem the biggest the biggest issues with Bethel that I that I would see is in the way that they teach about Jesus. Um, and really, the way that they teach about about God in general. But um, you know, Bill Johnson, who's the pastor of Bethel, has has written and taught several times about uh, what it meant when Jesus uh, emptied Himself. You know, the, uh, in, in in Philippians two, what that means is that Jesus emptied Himself of all divinity, so He was just purely a man who was operating in the Holy Spirit uh, when He performed these miracles. And and thus, you know, our goal in the Christian life is to engage with the Holy Spirit so that we too can do the miracles that Jesus did. That's, that's really a, a, he's tried to walk back some of this stuff, but even in doing that, you can tell that there's still that, that at the base of the teaching. Um, There's also some really problematic things in the way Bethel kind of goes about um, their practice and the way that they think through, um, you know, certain things like the little God's doctrine, which is, you know, that we are all kind of, we're all kind of little, Little gods uh, that need to need need more kind of anointing of the spirit to, to be raised into, uh, in into more divinity. They they would also you know practice uh, what's known as grave soaking. You know, it's going to the the grave sites of theologians and pastors, and um, you know, soaking up their anointing so that they can. can you know get what that's called that. in the Bible? What's that?
0: It's witchcraft.
1: Witchcraft. Right. That's that's exactly that's exactly what it is. That's and I, Saul and the um, the Witch
0: of Endor. I mean, come on.
1: Yeah, and and there's also you know there's there's talk about teams going out to try to raise people from the dead, and um, you know it's just it's one of those things that as you sort of unfold it a little bit, it gets weirder and weirder and weirder. Um, and so well, yeah, I,
0: I, re- I read I read on that note, he said, I'm going to have to paraphrase it, but basically when Christ did miracles, he did those as a man, not as right. God, right? Because and and. That's why they think they can do miracles, because mm-hmm. we're going to have now the abilities that Christ had.
1: Sure. Sure. And that's I mean, that's a big part of what they um, what they would say. It's very it's it's classical, traditional, Christological heresy. It's been going on as long as the church has been in existence. And, and, it's, and so, and, you know, that, divorcing you on... the divinity and the humanity of Jesus is, is a is a huge problem.
0: Yes, and so you, and and honestly, it affects every person of the Trinity because, mm-hmm. you know, the implications for the Father are definitely there. We had you hit a lot on the Son, but even the Spirit, um, mm-hmm. because, you know, you could see this online. There was this uh, look up, like Bill Johnson or Bethel Gold Dust, yeah. And there was this moment in a worship service. You know, of course, they have lights and fog machines and 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 dimness, and and it's it's very. I mean, it, it looked honestly. I mean, again, you know about my partying days and stuff like when I was looking at I I thought they were in some kind of nightclub with uh, you know even a mosh pit it looked like I don't know anyway but there was this moment where there would be fog in there anyway because of their fog machines and light hitting fog in different ways and was almost steamy that's why Mm -hmm. it felt like a rave to me but all of a sudden in the air was this like gold uh, I don't even know what to say. Gold smoke. They said it's Bill Johnson's up there saying, "Look at the gold dust. This is the Holy Spirit." That's this is the Holy Spirit. He's created them. So yeah, I'm steering clear of a of a place that purports that because they like the the prophets of Baal have drummed up this energy because it was all he attributed it to their the goodness of their worship mm-hmm. that now yep. the spirit is it had, has decided to come in in gold dust.
1: Well, and that's, I think that hits at what is, what is my biggest problem with all of these movements. Uh, and, and that is, that's the view of what worship is in their kind of context. And, and this, is, this is my, you know, because we can talk about all the arguments against it, and there's some good arguments, there's some not so good arguments. Um, the biggest issue, the biggest concern that I see is that there's a categorical misunderstanding of what's happening when we gather in corporate worship on Sunday morning that is related through these songs. And even if on the surface, the songs seem theologically sound, they're still speaking into this kind of contextual belief that the spirit is influenced by the level of emotion and, 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 and passion and feel that we bring into the worship service, and this is this is the whole idea behind uh, you know certain charismatic Pentecostal movements. Really, Pentecostalism as a whole is is this. It's predicated on the idea worship exists for your emotion, your being moved, your feeling, your experience. And as you experience, uh, and that's why they distinguish praise from worship. Praise and worship being separate things. Praise is the means by which we enter into worship and it's it's the you know it's the level of our praise basically that depends upon whether or not we're welcomed into worship and this is this just represents a, a like i said a categorical misunderstanding of what worship is what the presence or what the role of music in worship is um it downplays every other element of the worship service um as if they're detached from one another um and and so they're they're you know, whether it's blatant heresy in the case of Bethel or it's just really bad theology in the case of Hillsong and Elevation. And again, I think those they're more connected than, than people have, have really wanted to say. Um, but really all of them exist into this idea that worship is about your experience. The, the Sunday morning is about what you come away with, how you're moved by it. Um, and, and, that's just not the picture we get from Scripture. What is what is worship about? What is the core of worship? It's, you know, I would say Psalm 29, ascribing to the Lord uh, what is what is worthy of his name. Ascribing to the Lord that which is worthy, the glory that is worthy of his name. That's the core of worship. Uh, we worship, we sing, we, we pray, we do all these things. The emotive response comes in response. The emotive response the emotion from us comes in response to what the spirit's already done, what the spirit is doing. It's not the means by which we you know, encounter the spirit. Oh, that's good. There's such a misunderstanding of that. And, the, and, and if you don't think I, you know, and I hear people say all the time, well, you're talking slippery slope and there's, you know, I don't know, weak Christians that fall into these movements. If you don't think that that view of the spirit is, is, uh, is, is having an impact on the way you think about the church and the way you think about worship, then you're kidding yourself. Um, and well, that's no, my but, biggest
0: I mean, problem. yeah, I mean, the, the evidence yeah. that this this would even, you know, cause people that people would even question this is evidence that the that those ministries, mm-hmm. mega church ministries with tens of thousands of people in them and how they view their polity, their church, what worship is, is that's why it's even a conversation in in our little church. Right. And my point there is, it has influenced; mm-hmm. it already has influenced because those churches don't have the same view of worship that we have, you right. know? Right. And so clearly that's already in, infiltrated. And and this is, look, we all have to examine our own idols, even as pastors, you know, what is my preference in worship? Why is this upsetting me in work, you know, that we're doing this or not doing this? Is it out of a heart for the glory of God? Or is it I prefer it this way, and am I making my preference then some kind of a doctrinal stand? I mean, yeah. we we have to examine that. And, sure. you know, like, the the way we've tried to do that, it's just hopefully little by little phase it out because part of it is not trying to make people feel bad about enjoying songs that they like. Like, I... Mm-hmm. Like, I love the song No Longer Slaves, bless, but, but yeah. one is the er- ironic blessing. Lord bless mm-hmm. you and keep you, right. you know, make his face right. to shine upon you. It's pure scripture, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's where I, I, you know, I am sympathetic to congregants that are saying, well, this is beautiful and it's just yeah. scripture. And you mentioned Stephen Furtick. And I mean, I would say he's almost as problematic as, as Bethel. I mean, he's a modalist yeah. and that's a heresy that's been condemned for centuries, mm-hmm. you know? Millennial. I mean, it's like so. Modalism is that God modal. The the perfect modalistic example is like that God is like water. Mm -hmm. You know, that that there's uh, liquid, gas, and solid ice, and that's a heresy because God does not change forms like that. The three persons of the Trinity is not one person changing into three different forms. Right. It's he it's a mystery it's a paradox how three persons can be in one god but it's not one person changing into three forms and furtick says has said that on multiple occasions that you know christ has changed these forms and not simply the idea that you know it's not just like a philippians 2 thing where he took on humanity and and the bible talks about changing but like he blurs the line between what, what Jesus is and what the Spirit is. And I sure. and, and this is why it's so slippery because it's easy for all of us to do. And I think if anybody analyzed our our sermons or teachings, we probably said something if you ripped it out of context would be um you know that would require further clarification. Sure. But this is how heresy works. I mean, the right. the New Testament letters, the the Paul's letter to the Colossians or John's gospel and and his letters you see all kinds of hints of Gnosticism in there not that John John or Paul are gnostic but they're arguing against these these heresies and doctrines sure. at the current time that yeah. sound so much like christianity yep. Yep. you know and here's the thing they would they they would denounce those things they yeah. called these people false teachers they didn't say oh there's so there's a lot of good in what they're saying but they right, just missed right. this one piece yeah you know yeah.
1: that to me is the the bigger issue in terms of i mean if we're gonna we can parse the theologies of all these guys and and there's all sorts of problems and all sorts of things and, and certainly with bethel there's there's all this stuff but um like you said pulled out of context you could you could probably find problems with with anything you know with with everybody my issue is a couple years ago, I'll illustrate, I, I went to a, a service at Elevation. It was a for, for seminary class that we had to go to these different churches. And so I went to a service at Elevation and just out of, out of curiosity, just as an exercise, I, I jotted down every time Stephen Furtick said in his sermon, which he preached for about an hour and 10 minutes, um,
0: very gifted and, and the, he's very gifted, he's yeah. very
1: gifted but I'd noted down every time he either said the Lord, the Lord spoke to me this week, or the Lord gave me a new revelation, or, or gave me a revelation, or something along those lines. And I mean, it was uh, fifty, sixty times throughout the sermon. I mean, it was. I mean, he said it constantly. This idea that God gave him, and never once did he say God gave me this. And here it is in John chapter four. You know, here it is in it. There's a misunderstanding and we see that in the
0: church that that's right. crept in and, these... it's,
1: and it's crept in and that's and that's what what you're saying is about about these the, you know, the, the brilliance of these from a from purely a, a financial and, and business standpoint, the brilliance of these organizations is that they write these music, this music, and they're not explicit with the heresy. None of these songs have explicit heresy or, or very few of them have explicit heresy. They're very subtle in how they how they enter in some of this really, really problematic theology. And so I've sat in reformed churches before, and I'm singing this, and I'm I'm thinking, you would never step into the pulpit and preach that. You you would you would never do that. And if you did, you'd be fired on the spot. And yet, because it's in music and, and it's because it's 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 this emotional, you know, outpouring of so suddenly that. Really, really problematic theology, problematic teaching about Jesus, problematic, you know, understanding of what the Bible is and how God reveals Himself, and all of these things that becomes part of what your worship service is, um, and you're 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 welcoming that into the front door um, in ways that you would never in other situations. You know, we we wouldn't. I've used the example before, but and it's it's not mine originally. But I, you know, if Stephen Furtick. Promise to teach an exegetical sermon, preach an exegetical sermon, we wouldn't have him here to preach on Sunday morning. Even if he promised to teach exegetically or or expository, gospel-centered, whatever, we wouldn't have him in because we know that there's problematic things in his theology. And yet when we sing five songs from, you know, five songs a week, and some of them are from these churches, some of these organizations, you know, we're welcoming in some of that theology. And, and and that's how that's how these things happen. It's subtle, it's 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 kind of hidden in in ways. So that's how that's right. how it works. Yeah. And
0: and and the last piece of that th- that I would say also is when we do music, we we're paying royalties to the sources of those music. Now we pay them through a membership, you mm-hmm. know. So when we, sure. uh, you know, like these are licensed songs, you know that, and and that's one thing members said. So you mean my the money I'm giving to the church is going to support these ministries, you know, and again, I don't know what we pay per song. It's probably yeah. cents or dollars or who knows what. Yeah. But uh so I mean that 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 in and of itself. And so everything we've said builds a case that it's a wisdom and discernment issue mm-hmm. of of why I'm not going to play it in the church so that people say I love that song and go buy that album and then say, oh, yeah. I'm in New York City, or I'm here. Let me go to their church and just check sure. them out. Imagine the g- great music I'm going to hear, and sit through heretical teachings. Sure. And even more close to home, again, Elevation, which is right. I mean, any any one of our members can just go sure. there, sure. and it is what it is. But I'm not going to promote that and create a hunger for that through worship that's for God. You know, well, and that's
1: and and, and I think that's good. I, I, you know, I mean, I like I preface all that what I said and what you said. I think too by saying. We don't eliminate everything that could be construed as non-reformed theology in our music. We sing songs by Matt Mayer. We sing songs by Chris Thomas. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying, is there's a clear divorcing of these theologies, these churches, these practices, right? And the organizations that have taken over modern Christendom through music. There's a, that's, that's, my, that's the distinction that I'm drawing, you know, Horatio Spafford was a universalist. Do I think that when we sing "It is well with my soul, do I think we're, 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 you know, we're, we're backdooring universalism into our church. No, I don't. But do I think that it's possible that we are promoting from elevation, from Hillsong, from Bethel who use their music, by the way, as their primary source of engaging and drawing in and recruiting. That's, that's, that's how they do it. Um, Mm -hmm. I think there's a clear distinction there. I think there ought to be a clear distinction there, and this is why it's really just these four sources that we've highlighted. It's it's not it's not a ban on anything that's non-reformed. We disagree theologically with a lot of the artists that we sing
0: songs. With. Yeah, I mean that's a good point. That's, if any yeah. if any one artist became you know overly popular and had more influence, and they were teaching sinful immorality heretical stuff we'd probably have to stop doing them too because we're not sure. gonna we're not going to hold up because their music can't be divorced from who they are anymore you know right, right. and and like you said I wouldn't know you I mean i I didn't know that about Horatio Stafford and it is well as a beautiful song you yeah. know it's and yeah. but again hundreds of years ago sure, he's not sure. is influ- his theology's yeah. not influencing anything but I think right even now.
1: I think you can even point to modern examples is my point it, is is that I don't think I don't think just because somebody teaches false theology or believes false theology, um, you're necessarily associating that person with that false theology. Whereas these churches, these organizations, they are directly tied like it or not. They're directly tied and music is the primary avenue by which they, they profit in which they market themselves in which they, Mm -hmm. they want to, um, they want to exist, and that's and and that has become abundantly clear by the way they've operated. It's obvious to me that there is a clear difference between those two, those two things, um, in terms of an individual's theological practice and beliefs and the organization that promotes these things.
0: Well, again, for me, it's reach and influence. It, yeah. It's you know somebody's theology might be perfectly fine, but if their ministry's riddled in scandal, that yeah. uh, that affects people in ways that distracts from we're here to worship God. I mean, at the end of the day, we're here to worship God and not have our preference honored, you yeah, know. That's true. And uh, and we don't need anything to distract from that. Somebody might somebody might say, "Well, what about I mean, does that mean our worship hasn't been you know, right or we were in the wrong?" And I really just think this is more of a modern phenomenon. I mean, you've already you've already highlighted how we're going to do songs that by imperfect people who we're not going to agree with. But I think like 20 years ago, there was much more agreement in the Christian world. I think like as the country has become more polarized, as Christians have become more polarized, it's allowed for more error and the error is more evident. You know, I think of, in the 90s or the 80s and 90s, was it Vineyard? I mean, Vineyard isn't even around anymore, yeah. you know. And so, you know, I, I do think there's there's a change to these things. And I, I would guess some churches still sing Vineyard. And I don't have a clue of what their theology is, to be honest with you. But yeah. we made – I don't know if we do a Vineyard song anymore. I mean, it's pretty old at this point. But, you know, a lot of these songs from Hillsong 20 years ago, I mean, nobody had – any clue what Hillsong believed or anything else. Right. And so I, I think these factors all play into it. And again, it goes to the current influence that a source may have or the current baggage that comes with that source and sure. how that plays on uh, individuals in the church. Mm-hmm. Any yeah, thoughts?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I do think it's, it is an interesting kind of evolution that we've seen kind of, kind of with this stuff. Cause like you said, I think, I mean, I, I remember Hillsong kind of busting onto the scene, you know, 25 years ago, something like that. I remember it was it was late 90s, I, I want to say. And obviously, they were in existence long before that, but they kind of busted onto the scene in America um, around then. Um, and yeah, like I, like you said, I think 20 years ago we weren't having these conversations. Um, it's only in the last 20 years. Uh, I think there's a combination of factors between, you know, some of the stuff. Uh, first of all, it's 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 Hillsong, Elevation, and Bethel and some of these other movements that have, have, so it's, it's, it's a drowning of the, of the market in general. Um, uh, but also the fact that these songs have become incredibly popular. I mean, you look over, over 33% of the CCLI top 100 is belonging to one of these three churches, um, or, or brought out by one of these three churches. And that, I mean, that tells you not just that those churches are huge. It tells you that those, those songs are being sung, in a lot of churches, uh, around the country. And so this, this theology, this, this, uh, it's these driving various the things, market. It's, actually. it's, it's really become the face of modern evangelical Christianity, whether like mm-hmm. it or not, that's really what it is. Um, you know, and so, and, and I think that there's a, there's a little bit to, I've always kind of thought through, okay, why has this become so much more of a thing? Well, I, I think that, you know, I think back to what, what Jesus said when he warns about Uh, sheep in wolves clothing. And he says that, you know, he concludes that by saying you will know them by their fruit. That's what I think has happened over the last 20 years is that the fruit of these ministries has become public. Um, You know, there were two or three documentaries that came out about Hillsong and all the stuff that's kind of happened, whether it's Carl Lentz or Brian Houston stuff, the financial stuff, the sexual abuse stuff, whatever it is, um, with and the song. apostasy, the apostasy, the broad
0: spread apostasy the, of their songwriters,
1: right. the way they've treated their, the way they've treated people, their volunteers, the way that they've, you know, exploited students at their university, all of these things. So the fruit is not good, and Bethel, the fruit is not good. You know, I mean, like this is so. This has been a consistent thread with these ministries, these these organizations. You know, Stephen Furtick has got. You know, I mean, it's it's there's just a lot of sketchy financial things going on with that church, you know, whether they've been caught with anything or not, it's, it's just, there are good churches that are putting out good music that don't have these types of things going on around them.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, And, and so I think as those things have become more public, this issue has become uh, more and more, um, you know, more and more the focus and especially in reformed churches, I think, you know, that question of sort of not only you know, the scandals and the, the, the bad fruit things, but also just the theology of these, of these organizations, you know, as we, you know, in the reformed tradition, at least care deeply about the content of every aspect of our worship service, that, that those questions begin to come into the conversation. Uh, and, yeah. I, and ought to.
0: Yeah. Very good. And so, so, so uh, I can imagine if people are listening to this, not from our church, but in the reformed world, in the PCA where, you know, people know us. Uh, they might say, "Well, you're not even talking about hymns and psalms." Yes, absolutely. We do hymns and psalms. As a matter yep. of fact, you know, that's the, <laughs> depending on who you're talking to in our church. We do too many hymns or not enough hymns. Right. Always. And so, you know, there's usually a few, and and we do psalms and we do hymns traditional way, and we do them, you know, indelible grace way or or, or modern renditions of you know we do Getty stuff. So I think I think we probably said what needed to be said you know, again, I I don't, you and I don't make any kind of apologies for the fact that not only are we, you know, reformed pastors, but we're reformed pastors in the PCA. We have a standard that talks about not binding the conscience that refers to the regulative principle of worship that relies on the ordinary means of grace. And, And those are things I don't have to apologize for because that's I've took vows. I mean, that's my yep. conscience. You sure. know, I took vows before the Lord. And so I, I understand other churches bring all kinds of stuff into worship. We're not mm-hmm. we're not going to do it if I'm a pastor in, in a church that I'm at because I took vows to do these things to in in a way that honors the Lord, not not in a way that is our not just preference, but our creativity in in, in how we're going to worship. I mean, God hates our creativity in worship. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's there's no question about it when you see in the Old Testament. It's people devise things in their minds and he gets angry about it. People mix a different mixture of incense because they think it's going to be more special. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, and he kills people. You know, and so thank God for grace, and thank God we're going to do this. You know, the, the the other argument I've heard: well, everything we do is 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 riddled with sin, and there's nothing. I know, I, I know, I know. Yeah. No, nobody ever wrote a song is sinless. Everybody has some issue, and nothing. You know, my sermons have mistakes in them. My prayers are not. But praise God that because in a reform sense, we understand that it's not our worship drumming up a response in God, but that it's Jesus Christ as the mediator of our worship in our presence. Right. uh, In in our presence before the presence of the throne of God, that our stuff gets purified. But that doesn't mean I'm going to inject impurities into it willingly. (laughs) Right,
1: right. And that's that's where, you know, I mean, the, the... I think that there's a, there's a both and there and something that we need to, we need to acknowledge is the fact that yes, we can, we can both uh, be in acknowledgement that our worship is imperfect and and our, and our worship is going to be tainted with sin and that we are reliant fully upon the Holy spirit uh, and the intercession of Christ to, to make our worship uh, worthy of uh, worthy offering. But at the same time, we are guarded as especially as shepherds of the church to protect the flock and to, to, uh, to accord with sound doctrine, to protect against wolves in sheep clothing, you know, all of these commands from Scripture about not, uh, not allowing in, not, you know, not, not, not being, you know, like you said, not being creative, um, to where you know we've, you know, one, one thing that I think you know I, why I strongly believe in the Reformed tradition in terms of worship is we rely upon Scripture to be the basis for everything that we do. Uh, there's an objective standard. Um, it's not driven by my emotion, my passion, my preference, what I like. It's driven by well,
0: creativity,
1: right? And it's not driven by creativity. And I and I and I think that when it boils down to it, and I ask somebody, why do you, you know, you know, if they say, well, we need Hillsong or we need Bethel or we need, you know, the question becomes, why do you need those things? And and the answer struggles to be biblical or is not biblical. It's it's well I like them well the congregation likes them well the congregation you know uh, you know emotionally it gets the congregation there those those songs help to do th- those aren't biblical thoughts those are just their driving preference horizontal well, me... thoughts and that's and that's where you know I want to get our thinking more more vertical. Uh, and horizontal yeah. when it comes to our worship. That's
0: Right, but but but, but that shows, so that reveals idols, right? Because yeah. if, if it's like, we must sing songs by these three, or you mentioned a fourth source that I've never, never heard of. Uh, it, it, or it's not, well, again, as I said in the beginning, and, and you and I have a spectrum on this, I understand, but it's not, I'm not talking about style. Right. I'm not. And so if, you know, it, but if it must be Hillsong, that might be evident that there's an idol there because yeah. Yeah. why like if you could have hillsong or another song that stylistically is the same thing but doctrinally sound from a source that's un, not questionable why couldn't we do the alternative right. you know our job is to facilitate the congregation to worship together well that's what we seek to do so yeah if there's other good music or songs you think ought to be considered that I think we we'd love to hear that you know again yeah. my my stance coming in was you know doctrinally sound and singable for the congregation it was through discussions with members of the session committees of the session that the 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 issue continued to get raised not just to me I don't know if it was raised to Taylor before he was on uh, the worship coordinator but to individual elders repeatedly and we had to then wrestle through the conversation we just had so um that's that's kind of where we are and where we'll leave it if you have any final thoughts
1: the only thing i'd say is is i think at the end of the day we're talking a a very low percentage 10 percent maybe of of the entire song catalog that we do it's worth asking do we need to do these things when there (laughs) when there are sources that aren't that aren't controversial and, and I do think I do think we've 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 been able to do it relatively easily. I mean, I don't think there's uh, there's been a lot of difficulty coming up with valid, valuable replacements. I, that's all I would say. I think to to kind of wrap up. But.
0: Well, I appreciate having you on, Taylor. It was a great conversation. I can see having you on again. So I appreciate yeah. you. Sorry, Darren you you missed this conversation. Maybe maybe you stepped out on purpose. <laughs> you didn't want <laughs> to into the fray. <laughs> Uh, this is Pastors George and Taylor uh, signing off for Grace to Stand.